Glad that you're here today. It's always a joy to be together in the house of the Lord, and I welcome you in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Lots of our folks are away today on various trips and so forth, so we will pray for them. Um, we, uh, in your bulletin, you will find two flyers in the wild, Vacation Bible School. One is for you to remind you of Bible School, August 4th through 8th. The other is to give to somebody, to invite them to come to Bible School. So I hope that you will do that that you will invite uh, someone to come to Bible school. And Dwight's going to tell us a little more about Bible school later and how you can sign up and be a part of that. We did that in the first service and seemed to have a good response, Dwight. So we're grateful for that, and he will have some other things to share with you about that. Uh, the opportunities for the week are listed in your bulletin tonight. Uh, we will have the encounter service at 5, 5 youth at 6, and the deacons meeting that was postponed two weeks ago will be held tonight at 630 and so I hope the deacons, uh, you can come and be a part of that meeting. Um, the only other thing that is different for this week is the fellowship breakfast at Cold Harbor Restaurant at 7.30 on Thursday. Everyone is invited to come to Cold Harbor for breakfast. So I hope that you uh, will consider coming for that time uh, of fellowship. Um, I think that's all the announcements that I have other than the uh, tear-off in your bulletin. If you're visiting, you can fill that out, place it at the offering plate, and we would have a better record of your attendance. And also, if you have prayer concerns, you can place those in the offering plate as well, and we pray over those at staff meeting uh, on Tuesdays. I'm grateful that we have this time together to worship in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And so now let us worship God. Good morning. Our call to worship. When we all get to heaven, number 603 in your hymnals, please stand and sing with us. Shall we pray? Gracious and loving God, into your presence we come on a day that is gifted to us by you. A day, Father, where we can sing praises to your name. 
a day, Father, where we can listen and hear a word from you. We're grateful, Father, for the power of your love to uplift us and to redeem us. May we, Father, move forward from this place with that sure sign of victory in our hearts. We pray, Father, that you will accept our praise and our adoration and our worship before you. In the name of Jesus, amen. Sweet hour of prayer, number 429 in our hymnals. Please stand and sing, sweet hour of prayer. may be seated and keep your hymnal in hand and turn to page number 153 as we read responsively. I will read the worship leader part and Paul will lead you as the worshipers. For there is one God and one mediator between God and man, a man, Christ Jesus, who gave himself a ransom for all. No one has greater love than this that someone would lay down his life for his friends. I do not call you slaves anymore because a slave doesn't know what his master is doing. I've called you friends. For everything that I learned from my Father, I have made known to you. May our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God our Father, who has loved us and given us eternal encouragement and good hope by grace, Encourage your hearts and strengthen you in every good work and word. And now we stand and sing hymn number 340, Word of God Across the Ages. Please stand.
Good morning. morning. I want to share something with you. In one of my readings this week, it was talking about, uh, as Christians, how we are walking advertisements for Jesus Christ in our world today. Not so much by having the big cross hanging around our necks, not by having a billboard hung on our fronts or on our backs, but by the fruit that we bear. And I won't spoil the message, but in Dwight's message, he talks about the fruit of the tree. The fruit that we produce in our lives as as Christians speaks volumes in our world today. Remember that when we leave here today, out of these doors and we go to our homes and out through our jobs, what kind of fruit are we leaving? Let's go to God in prayer. Father in heaven, we thank you for this opportunity you've given to us this morning. We thank you for the blessing of life, for allowing us to assemble ourselves once again in your house of prayer, O God. We thank you for guiding us throughout this week. Allowing us, oh God, to be here, even though there may be some pains, there may be some some aches, there may be some things that have happened in our lives, but you allowed us to gather here once again, oh Lord, and we praise you for that. As we, oh Lord, bring our tithes and offerings to you this morning, we ask, Father, that you would remove anything in our hearts or our minds that may hinder us from being able to absorb the message this morning. Speak to our hearts, oh God, and let, let us not just be hearers of your word, but let us become doers of your word when we leave this place. In Jesus Christ's name we pray, amen.
If you were a helper in last year's Vacation Bible School, we will ask you to stand at this time. We did this in the first service. You were involved in any way, shape, or form. Stand on up. Let's give God a big round of applause for our helpers from last year. We had to go ahead and stay up, stay up, stay up. There we go. We had a wonderful Vacation Bible School. God did wonderful things. And this year, as uh, we preach, I'm preaching on the theme verse for our Bible School this year. Our theme is In the Wild. August 4th through 8th, and we're asking that everybody who helped last year and everybody who wasn't able to would get to be a part of this. So I'm going to pray for you all, and then I'm going to explain this board up here. There was one in the Family Life Center, so if you don't see names on this, it's because both services are signing up. We would ask after the sermon, after the service is over, to come forward and find a way to get involved in Vacation Bible School this year. So let me pray for you and for our church and Bible school. God, we lift up those who helped last year at our Bible school. God, we give you all glory and honor and praise for what you did. And we pray that this year's uh, theme would point people to your truth so they would have an encounter with you, Jesus, and their lives would be changed and uh, be give, given a, a new start and a new hope. So God, I pray for uh, volunteers. I pray for the church to come together in unity to glorify you as we reach children for Christ. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. All right, you may have a seat. On this board, just to explain some things that we need. If you're a promotion, registration, follow-up person, that's what this one is. It's all jungle themed, by the way, this year. Uh, Safari leaders, guides, trackers, rangers, jungle chefs, those kind of names, so be creative. Uh, Preschool, right here. And then the grade school, first through fifth grade, right here on this page, if you want to help teach or lead. Prayer team, if you aren't even going to be able to be there, if you know that's your vacation, or if you just really have a heart for prayer, we need people to sign up for prayer. So each day, you're going to be lifting up Bible school, lifting up the the teachers, lifting up the directors, lifting up the children. So also during Bible school, even if you're not here, you'll be a prayer warrior for our team. Uh, for our Bible school. Jungle arts and crafts, if you're an arts and craft person. Recreation rangers, if you like to do recreation. And then we've got the jungle decorating team. The team that comes in beforehand, sets up the worship area here for the opening and closing, and then the gym and classrooms. And then uh, the jungle worship rally team, which is the music. And then the jungle chefs, which is the food and snacks. So... Uh, The schedule's up here, the theme's up here. We want this to be bathed in prayer, and we pray that you all would be involved as much as possible. So after the service, don't forget to come and sign up for Bible school. August 4th through 8th, it's going to be a wonderful time. And I might mention that we're going to have dangerous live animals, so be prepared. Okay. Don't, Don't be scared off because of that, I know. All right, so if you get your Bibles, one of the things that... God has been working on in uh, convicting me in the last several weeks and months is the desperate need we as Christ followers have for the Word of God. And so one of the things that I want to uh, be mindful of of every every time we come together is you cannot exist here without God's Word. So I'm going to encourage you, if you've lost the habit of bringing your Bible to church, bring your Bible to church. Gretchen was saying something, boy, if people don't bring their Bibles to church, where are they bringing their Bibles? Bring your Bibles to church. I don't think I'm calling anybody out for that. It should be a habit of what we do. And then as we read God's Word together in church, you go home and you open your Bibles each day and spend time in the Word. There is no reason we shouldn't just have an obsession with God's Word because it is the very life of the believer and it's how the power of the Holy Spirit is given uh, truth to us. So I would ask that you get your Bibles out. We're going to be reading from Matthew chapter 7, and I'm going to read our uh, theme verse from Bible school and then share why we're preaching on this text. So the theme verse is John chapter 20, verses 30 and 31. There, for many other signs Jesus also performed in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book, but these have been written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. So the sermon's going to be believing the truth. There's a a difference between believing and uh, really believing. And we're we're going to look at some false assertions of what Christians have done about belief. Uh, And the the theme verse is powerful because we do not want to just offer kids a good experience at Bible school. We do not want to just offer them opportunity to know 
a little bit about God's word and his stories. The five days are going to be encounters with Jesus. And our prayer, our hope is that they don't just believe, but the Bible has been written so they, they believe that Jesus is the Christ, Son of God, and they may have life in that belief. There's a very huge difference between life and just belief. And so we're going to look at that as we look at Matthew chapter 7, and that's why the sermon is coming from here. And let me pray. God, I pray as we open your word that you would speak uh, to us clearly, that everything that is said is not of me, but is of your word and your truth, and we thank you for giving it to us so richly. God, I pray that each one here would be sensitive to your Holy Spirit, convict us of what you need to convict us of, and change us in Jesus' name. Amen. As the theme is in the wild, encounters with Jesus, as our VBS, we see through scripture that Jesus encountered his people. And more often than not, when he really convicted or was strong towards people, it was, it was his people. And so today in the church, we have a, a mandate to come together, proclaim God's word, not being always so affirming. God needs to speak to us of where we are weak and strengthens our belief. We sang a song at camp. We just got back from Ridgecrest. We sang a song at camp that basically says, Lord, I believe, but help my unbelief. That's how the song starts. We need to cry out and understand that we are not exactly where we should be. And the church is oftentimes led to a false assurance of where we are. We're going to look at that. We're going to have three points. If you're taking notes, there's going to be one overriding principle and three points from Matthew chapter 7. Follow along. I'm going to go verses 13 to 24, and uh, that's where I'm going to stop in this particular time. So Matthew 7, verse 13. Enter through the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is broad that leads to destruction. There are many who enter through it. For the gate is small and the way is narrow that leads to life. There are few who find it. Beware of the false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will know them by their fruits. Grapes are not gathered from thorn bushes, nor figs from thistles are they. So every good tree bears good fruit, but the bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot produce bad fruit, nor a bad tree produce good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down, thrown into the fire. So then you will know them by their fruits. Verse 21, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. But he who does the will of my Father, who is in heaven, will enter. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name, and in your name cast out demons, and in your name perform many miracles? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. Verse 24, therefore everyone who hears these words of mine and acts on them may be compared to a wise man who built his house on the rock. May God add his blessing to the reading of his word. When I was a kid, Marvel Comics was my thing, and baseball cards. Marvel Comics, I believe, this is way before these movies all became so popular in our culture. Marvel Comics were the thing when I went to my room that I enjoyed reading so much. The stories were imaginative, they were creative, they were superheroes. And as you read comic books, especially as a kid, you have a fascination and a wonder and an awe. And I think that's why these movies have just permeated our culture. What we have in God's word is better than any story that's ever been created. It's the most incredible story that's ever been written. And Jesus wants us to fully understand who he is and his words so that we can be awakened to the awesomeness of his word. We as a church sometimes become callous and we need to be woke up to the awe and the admiration and the joy of this story. And I think what happens is when you read God's word and God's spirit convicts you, you get reawoken to the power of the story. When you spend time in his word, it becomes better. And then God can change us. We have here in this story one of the more harsh stories that Jesus laid out before his disciples and for his people. And we as a church need to put and understand that this is for us. Our camp pastor this week 
um, he said something that I think was very important. He said, there's no such thing as a camp high. Here's what, here's what a lot of people think. Camp high is one of those times where you have five days worshiping, studying the Bible, spending all day in fellowship with other believers, listening to messages, spending time in godly pursuit. And then after the first day, some people are sort of okay. By the fifth day, everybody's raising their hands in worship. Everybody's joy in the Lord is, is alive. And he said, camp high is not a real thing. What you are receiving is a constant encouragement from the word. And he said this, the reason it seems like you're having a camp high is because in our normal everyday lives, we are so spiritually malnourished we desperate, and so desperate that we don't see the wonder and grace of Christ. We do not spend enough time listening to the words of Jesus. Our focus is not just on VBS today. It's our focus is on understanding the life that is found in his word through his Holy Spirit. And it brings us to this passage. I pray that it wakes each one of us up. He says in verse 13 and 14, Enter through the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is broad that leads to destruction. There are many who enter through it, but the gate is small and the way is narrow that leads to life and there are a few who find it. There is a misunderstanding of this scripture because if you look where Jesus is going in this teaching, he is starting here and then he's bringing his really massive truths as he concludes this. This is for his church. Understand that very clearly as you'll see. We oftentimes see this and we just say, I get it. The world is lost. The world is on a path to destruction. The church is few and we have found the gate that leads to life. Jesus is saying, and you'll see it very clearly, if you look at the word many, many is referring to the people who think they're believers, but they're not. The word is written so that you may believe and have life in Christ, not so that you can think that you have life in Christ. So this passage is for us today, and you'll see it clearly as we go. The narrow gate is for those who are few, few in number. The broad gate leads to destruction, not just the world who is lost and dying apart from Christ, but for people in the church. I said this in the first service. As you look at pastors in large churches, uh, we, had a, we had a study with Francis Chan, who was a pastor at a large church. Over and over, you hear this from them. I stand before my people, and Francis Chan said this, and he said, I am broken by not knowing if my own church people are going to spend eternity in heaven. I feel, what can I do to make them understand they are lost? And he, he actually left his big church because he wanted to have relationships with people so he knew that they knew God's word and they knew the road to life. He got so worried. So many people in the church, he just realized, God was convicted, didn't understand the gospel and didn't have life like they should, that we have, to, we have to be mindful of that. We can't look around and say, we're the few, we've got it all together, the world is lost, they're in trouble. That's not where the scripture is going, this is for us. And so number one point, if you're writing this down, the overriding truth is, here's the question I want you to ask. Is it possible to believe the promises of God and yet be lost forever? Jesus implies that that is the case. Is it possible to believe the promises of God and be lost forever? Jesus implies it so. So the number one point here is this. Write this down. There is a false understanding of how many are saved. We have really good intentions. I am passionate about evangelism. I want anyone I come into contact with to know the saving grace of Jesus Christ. I will go anywhere and do anything to share the gospel with anyone who is lost. And so I think a lot of times we as a church think, well, most people are saved. That is an incorrect, false assumption. There was a, uh, when the Passion of the Christ movie was coming out, there was a Dateline story, and the lady on Dateline put up a statistic that said 87% of Americans say that they're Christians. That is a many, M-A-N-Y, statistic. Jesus says many are the ones who are going to destruction. Few are the few who find life. So we, 
who are passionate about evangelism, who spend time in the church, who spend time in the Word, sometimes we're confused that everyone around us must be okay. Jesus is saying, be concerned about yourself. Be concerned about the spiritual life of those around you in your church as well as in the world. The reality is people from every nation, tribe, and tongue will be in heaven, but the massive number of people are lost. And many, many people from churches who think they're okay are going to be among that number. We have to be mindful of the few. We have, to, we have to make sure we are not in the many. So when Jesus says um, the, the gate is small, the way is narrow, that leads life, and there are few who find it, you'll see he's not just talking about the world. He's talking about us. Jesus makes it clear these two paths One is wide and populated, one is narrow and few. And belief and faith is found in that narrow path. Most people are going on a path that leads to destruction. I was a skier. I guess I'm still a skier. I don't ski in Virginia very much because it's not where I grew up in Colorado, which is better skiing. In high school, I went on a church youth group trip to Loveland, Colorado. And we were going up a lift, and a 10th grade girl was on my right, and I was on the left. We get to the top of the hill, and we made, we made a little pact. When we get off, we're going to race to the bottom of the mountain. And so, being the competitive guy I was, I was not going to let a girl beat me. I was not going to let a guy beat me. It didn't matter who it was. I was not going to lose. And so, we're pumping ourselves up. I'm like, we get off the mountain. We had agreed on the path to go down, so we go on the same path. We get off, and I am way ahead. I mean, way ahead. It's not surprising. I was going like 200 miles an hour, Paula. I'm in a dead tuck going down. I look behind. She's in at way out in the dust, and I'm like, I've got this. And right over here, as I'm going this way, there was a guy just kind of hanging out, just kind of hanging right about here. And as I got closer, I realized something. I was ignoring him because I was focused on my task, that what he was blocking was a sign that said, end of mountain, danger, cliff ahead. He was standing in front of the cliff at the edge of the mountain. I somehow was so focused on winning, and I did not see the sign because someone was blocking the sign, that I went right off the cliff. And he finally says, no. Like, finally, he, didn't, he wasn't waving his hands. He wasn't saying, don't come this way. He was like, what are you doing? And I'm in the air, and this is 100% true. I was sure that I had killed myself. 100% sure when I looked down and could see nothing except for rocks in a canyon, I was like, I'm dead. I've just killed myself. What a mistake. So I scream. I throw my poles in the air. Uh, I hit the ground, roll 20 yards And then the the, the girl in the youth group pulled up behind, and they both looked down. The first thing they said was, you shouldn't have gone that way. Yeah, thanks now, yeah. Miraculously, uh, I did not break a bone. I had my pole scattered everywhere. My hat was one place. My ski was one place. I think I had body parts laying over, apparently not. But it was just there. And, and the people up top said it looked just like a disaster. And they were like, are you okay? And I was like, I think so. They called ski patrol, brought me down. Didn't break any bones by the grace of God. But that's where most people are going. Jesus says many are going on a road that leads to destruction. And we, I think, don't care that we just block that sign for people and let them go. We cannot be that way. If there's one person in our church who is not among the few, we have to warn them of that cliff. And we have to say, you are going the wrong way and do anything and everything we can to put them on the path that leads to life. We cannot just sit back and say, I'm good, people are coming to church, they're good. We have to be passionate about are we the few or are we the many? And that's where Jesus is going in this first part. There is a false understanding of how many are saved. Most people are not. The few are, and we need to make the few more. That's our call as Christians. So number two, second point comes in what Chuck referenced with the fruit, verses 15 through 20. Beware of false prophets 
who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will know them by their fruits. Grapes are not gathered from thorn bushes, figs from thistles are they. Every good tree bears good fruit, every bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot produce bad fruit, a bad tree cannot produce good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down, thrown into the fire, so then you will know them by their fruits. I was working on a baptism lesson this last week with the baptism class, and uh, one of the things that we're teaching is a massive truth of Scripture is that the Christian life is the life of Jesus Christ, reproduced in the life of the believer through faith and the Holy Spirit by the power of the Word of God. This is I, I, it's a large sentence, but it's an important sentence. The life of the Christian is to be reproduced. The life of Jesus Christ is to reproduce by the life of the believer. We are reproductions of Jesus. That's who we're called to be. So I use this illustration. We're copying things for VBS. I have this fish Bible verse. I said I'm putting this fish Bible verse on the copier. I hit copy. I make a reproduction of the fish. And our copier is so good, and Tim knows this. It's world class, I think. Paul doesn't like that. I don't think it is. When you put the two side by side, you can barely tell the difference from the original and the reproduction. You can barely tell. You can, if you knew what it was like before, you might be able to tell. But it looks really, really close. And I'm like, is this fish the original or is it a reproduction? We as Christ followers are to be reproductions of the life of Christ. In other words, when we live our life, we should look almost like Christ. That's a difficult task to do. We are not Jesus. Your life is going to be the term of sanctification, spent each day trying to look more and more like Jesus. So it's difficult. But when people see you, they will know whether your life is about Jesus or whether your life is not about Jesus. This is, this is where he goes. So look what he says. He says, in the church, among you are people who are false prophets. So the second point is there are many false prophets. The word many is used again. There are many false prophets, meaning there are a lot of people in the church who look fine but are wolves, meaning they look like sheep. Here's, the, here's what Jesus uses with sheep all the time. I'm the shepherd, Jesus. You're the sheep. My sheep hear my voice, and they follow me. Jesus' sheep know Jesus. Jesus knows his sheep. Jesus is not fooled by if you look like a sheep, but inside you're not. He knows. Talked about this earlier. There's a cartoon predating Roadrunner where there was a sheepdog and he guarded the sheep. Raise your hand if you remember this cartoon. Yes, everybody should remember this. This is before my time. No offense. The sheepdog guarded the sheep and uh, he would clock in and along would come the enemy, which was the coyote, which is like a precursor of the actual wily coyote from Roadrunner. But he was a coyote, and his job was to trick the sheepdog into letting him steal a sheep or get a sheep. His goal was to get a sheep. His best strategy was he would put on a sheep costume, zip it up, the zipper would be gone, and he would be among the sheep looking to devour one of them. That was his strategy. He looked like a sheep, but wasn't a sheep. The sheepdog always knew. If you remember this, he'd walk out into the sheep field, grab the wolf that's in the sheep clothing, take off his costume, pound him on the head, throw him out. This is what happened. And then they'd punch out and go back to their homes, I guess. I don't know how that worked. In church, it's difficult sometimes for us to tell the difference. He says there are many who are going to destruction, there are few who are life, but a lot of us look alike. And so Jesus says, the way you can tell is by something that's inside. Inwardly, you're ravenous with. Inwardly, you, you look okay on the outside, but inside, your motivations, your heart has not been changed in Christ. And so he says, how to tell is by fruit. This is a wonderful illustration because fruit is evidence, right? It, it doesn't work. You have fruit. So therefore, you have faith. You have faith that Christ gives you. That faith grows, and it produces fruit. The word produce is just like reproduced a copy to a copy. Jesus, we were reproduced to look like Jesus. 
if somebody is producing fruits of the Spirit, you will know that they are not a false prophet. But there are many false prophets among us. In the Dominican Republic, there's this beautiful mango tree right outside our place we stay. Last year, Paula, we got called out for it. Yeah. They, our group, would see a mango come on the ground. And what, you, what do you do with a mango that's fallen onto the ground, Paula? You eat it because it's ripe and it drops to the ground. It's delicious. I learned that the first time with the Dominican. You're walking around. These guys are picking up eating mangoes off the ground. I was like, why? They're like, they're the best. They come off the tree. They're fresh. They're beautiful. So our people were like, but look at all those mangoes on the tree. And so they would get rocks. They'd throw them up to try to knock down those mangoes. They would get sticks to try to knock them off. Some people would climb up the tree to get these mangoes. And then they'd get these mangoes, they'd pull them off the tree, and what do you find out about the mango? They're not ripe. So this year they said, we would ask your group not to eat the mangoes off the tree, Dwight. Because they're not ripe. The fruit has to be good in order to be effective. For us as believers, we have to understand that fruit takes a long time. And a lot of times, we're not patient enough. We don't put enough time in it to enjoy the harvest. Um, We settle for not good enough. Jesus says you'll know by the taste of their fruit. You'll know how good it is because it's it's not going to, you're not going to have good fruit coming from a bad tree. Northwestern football program, I love this illustration. They had a uh, coach who came in, and Northwestern was the Big Ten cellar dweller. They would always try really hard, but they could never take out the Ohio States and the Michigans. And the coach came in and said, your problem is that you give up before you see the fruit. You work and you work, but you you just can't beat Ohio State, and so it all falls apart. So he got this idea of a, a water pump. If you've been camping and you've seen the old pumps, not the ones you just pull the handle and the water comes flying out, the ones you have to pump, right? You know what I'm talking about. If you're a camper, you know what I'm talking about. What happens when you start pumping the water? Under the ground, the water slowly starts to come to the surface, and it's work. When my dad said, go pump water, I was like, oh, man, it takes a long time. And then you keep going, you keep going, you keep going. If you give up, what happens? The water goes all the way back to the beginning, and you have to start over. You cannot stop pumping the well because you don't know when that water is going to come to the surface. And so you keep pumping, you keep pumping, you pumping, you don't give up, and the water comes forth. And the coach said, you guys are like this. You're not working enough to see the rewards of your work. Don't give up. Northwestern won a Big Ten championship in his 10 years coach. This illustration is for us. We want to have fruit, but I think sometimes it's hard, it's difficult, we don't enjoy it, we give up and no fruit comes from our life. Jesus is telling us that if you want to be in the few, you're going to be diligent in how you grow. Fruit comes from time, consistency, patience, work, obedience, dedication. It's something that takes effort and then it grows. Um, you can't just watch a video online. Like if you're a soccer player, you can't just watch a video and say, man, there's all those great soccer moves. Go out onto a field and imitate it. What you have to do is you have to practice and practice and practice. So the Christian life, if you want to be one of the few, is going to be, I am going to spend time in this word. I'm going to spend time in prayer. I'm going to spend time in church. I'm going to do what God tells me to do. I'm going to put it into practice. I'm not just going to keep my faith to myself. And you're going to have evidence the fruit has come forth. I think what we see oftentimes in the church is people say, boy, I work really hard. I don't see anything happening. Keep pumping the well. Fruit will come. And then you'll look around and you'll see you'll see the spiritual fruit that happens. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Those qualities should be noticed, and no wolf can put on a sheep costume and look like those qualities. We as a church have to continue 
fervently and not be influenced by a false sheep. Number three, and this is where it gets really difficult and we close with it. Number three is there is false assurance of believing or saving faith. There is fa- people have a false assurance of faith. Look what he says, verse 21. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father who's in heaven will enter. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, didn't we prophesy in your name, in your name cast out demons, in your name perform miracles? I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. There is the implication Jesus is giving here that answers that question at the very beginning. That many people think they believe, but they have a false assurance of that belief. Many people think they understand the gospel, but they don't. And there's a lot of reasons for this, and I've seen it in uh, the church over many years. Sometimes young people will come, and they want to please mom and dad, and they'll say a prayer, or they'll get baptized. And then when they get older, they've not spent enough time being discipled. And so they get older, and they're like, I never really knew what I was doing, but I say I'm a Christian, right? I have an older brother. He's an atheist. I don't believe he's a Christian in any way, shape, or form. He was baptized on the same day as me. He never went to church after high school, once. He tells me to my face, he does not believe in God. My mom and dad are still like, but maybe, maybe when he was baptized and he prayed that prayer, maybe he's, he's a believer, Dwight. It's not what Jesus says. You will be known by your fruit. You will be known by your fruit. A life that has been changed, is going to grow. And if he's resting on that, well, when I was 13, I went to church. Jesus is going to be like, I never knew you. Now, understand this. Once you are genuinely saved, you will never lose your salvation. God will never leave you. But I think a lot of people don't understand faith. So Jesus says, and this is Jesus' words. This is not my words. Jesus says, many, verse 22, many, not few, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, didn't we do all these things? He'll say, I never knew you. We cannot rest just on good works. We cannot just rest on what we do. Our faith comes from God. It's from faith to faith, and it is lived through him. Our faith is not about doing things. We can't say, well, but God, look at how, look at how much I did. Look at where I went. Look at how good I was. He's like, I never knew you because Faith comes from a changed inside, not just resting on what you do. Every other religion is a works-based religion. Every other one. You do enough to merit the love of God. Christianity is the only one that says your merit is found in Christ alone, not on what you do. Your good works are a result of your faith, not because of faith. So the true believer here has something different than just works. The true believer, and it's, it's certainly implied here, has a love for God. A love for God. I can't emphasize that enough. You want to know if you're a few or a many, how much do you love Jesus? Jesus demonstrated his love for us, that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Therefore, He makes us sons and daughters. And as sons and daughters, do we love Jesus? Or are we just kind of okay with him? Here's the thing. You might, we might be able to fool one another, but does Jesus know who his sons and daughters are? Absolutely. He's not fooled. He knows his children. And we spend so much time trying to fool Jesus, or because we think, well, if I can fool people, I can fool Jesus. He knows his children. And Jesus is saying, you have to understand that I know you. How much do we love Jesus? Here, here's how I would put this. And this convicts me as well as anybody else. Do you get all of your energy, excitement, joy, love, devotion from things of the world? Or is all of your energy, excitement, love, passion, devotion from Jesus? You can tell. Jesus certainly can tell. 
I talk about this. You can tell if a husband's in love with his wife. You can tell if a kid wants to hang around with somebody else. There's always a room where it's like, I'll, I'll tolerate that person for 45 minutes, but I'm done. We all have people like that in our lives. You can tell. But Jesus, Jesus knows if you're just kind of putting up with them while you come to church or whether you love being here. Jesus knows if you love serving him or you're doing it just because it's obligation. Jesus knows our hearts. And that's my question. Is, is there a way to have belief and it not, and you still be lost forever? Yeah. If your belief is not put in context with trust, context with your life. This is the deeper truth that Jesus gives. Many, many people say they love the Lord, but Jesus knows the people who do. And that number is few. John 20, 31, that you may believe Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and believing you may have life in his name. Jesus can most certainly tell. He knows if you're truly his or if you're faking it. My challenge for our VBS, for our church, for the church, is to be mindful that there are many who are going down a road that leads to destruction. And if you have any feeling that that's you, don't be embarrassed by that. Say, God, I repent, and I want to be fully in love with you because you are so in love with me. There is still time for you to not go off that cliff. There is still time for you to have the life that Christ gives, and we want you to know that. We don't want you to be wondering if you're saved. We don't want you confused about whether or not you have this life. We want you to know the life that is found in Christ Jesus. That's why the Bible was written. The Bible wasn't written just as a guidebook to kind of help us give us some suggestions. It is so that we would know we have eternal life in Christ. And I would say the passion of our church should be start with one another. Is there anyone in your Sunday school classes, is there anyone who comes that you're not seeing fruit in? If so, pray for them, encourage them, love them, be patient with them, help them understand the road to life. And then if there's anyone else on that road apart from our church, you be a person that's desperately in pursuit of them knowing the love of Jesus Christ. A lot of people are like that with their family. Gretchen, she's got two brothers who are not Christians. She prays for them all the time. She talks about them all the time. She wants them to come to Christ so bad. Are we like that just with people we love, or are we like that with anyone who's on that path of destruction? That guy who blocked the sign in my skiing, here's, here's my thought. If I was his best friend, he wouldn't have stood there with his arms like this and let me go off the cliff. He'd be like, Dwight, do not! Do not go here, man! And I would have stopped. But he just said, like, I don't know him. Off the cliff. And then he was like, whoops, that's bad. If we really love Jesus, we're not going to let anybody go off a cliff. We don't want anyone on that broad road that leads to destruction because there are many, and many is way too many. So today, as we have our time of response, I pray God works in our hearts. Say, God, I want to be one of the few. I want the life that comes through the narrow gate, and I want my life to be marked by fruit of your spirit, and I don't want you to say, I never knew you. Jesus, forgive me and make me what you want me to be. Make me in love with you. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. Your word is truth. Your word is convicting. Your word is powerful. And in it, we do receive life. God, I pray for this room. I pray for our church. I pray for the church in our country and around the world. God, there are so many who are lost, who you know are lost, that we need to share the truth of your love and your gospel with. God, there are so many amongst us who have gone apathetic in our faith, or maybe we're going through the motions. God, I pray that in this time of response, you would just convict our hearts and we would say, no more of that. I want to be in love with you, Jesus, like you deserve. And God, maybe there's just people who have never surrendered their life to Christ in the first place. I pray right here, right now, they say, I need the faith that you give, Lord Jesus. I want to be on that narrow path. 
because I know I'm walking on a path of destruction. God, I pray that this morning, that is what you do. So God, however you lead, I pray that you would work. In Jesus' name, amen. Let me share this before we stand and have a time response. Verse 24, I didn't have time to really get into it. Everyone who hears these words and acts on them may be compared to the wise man who built his house upon the rock. When we hear the gospel, we have to respond. When we hear the gospel, we can't say, okay, I heard the gospel. We have to respond. We have to hear his words and act upon them. So if God is saying in your heart, I'm not where I need to be, you need to give him your heart. If God is saying, you know what? I am a person who is drawing a lot of my passions from things of the world. You need to say, forgive me of that and make today the day that my passion is Jesus Christ. You can tell. If somebody's in love with Jesus, you can tell. I want this church just to be fully in love with Jesus. Amen? Let's stand and we'll have our time of response. Others will trust him if only you prove. The world sees Jesus as you are like Jesus. That's the proof. That's the reproduction we have in Christ. So go into this world and live to the glory of God through Jesus Christ. And others will come to understand he is real. And they are loved by the love of Jesus. Our VBS is August 4th through 8th. I would ask you to come down and get involved. Sign up somewhere and uh, 
certainly we need prayer warriors as well. You have two of these, Tim mentioned. I would keep one in your fridge. Pray over it. Keep it in your house to remind Find somebody to give another one to. We have a wonderful Bible school here. There's so much love in these kids. Any kid that comes is going to have a great time. So don't be like, oh, I don't think they're going to like it. They will like it. Find somebody to give one of these flyers to. And we will trust God is going to have his way. So thank you for a great day in the house of the Lord. And I pray that as we go, we continue to prove him by our love. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for what you do and what you have done this day. And we pray that we would be assured of our salvation through your love, Lord Jesus. I pray that we would be people who are like you, who live for you, and produce fruit of your spirit. God, I pray that when you see us, you see that you are our heart's desire. Make us a blessing. In Jesus we pray. Amen.